I think we all would agree that we would want to live a good life. I think all of us would agree that we wish that the good life was ours. But, but there's a question I want to ask today about the good life is, what does the good life look like? You know, if I asked you to describe what it looked like to live the good life, what, what would be those pieces? What would that be for you? I think for a lot of us, it'd be different. You know, I've got a couple pictures to maybe demonstrate what the, the good life might look like for some of us. See, for, for some of us, the good life might look like that, that beautiful house with that white picket fence and two kids and, and two dogs running around that yard and place in the back to, to have a fire pit and enjoy just family time. Maybe for you, that's the good life. Maybe for somebody else, the good life is that cabin in the mountains with a little bit of a, a snowfall and a hot tub out back and the cool weather and just the, the whistling of the trees and a place to, to let your dogs run and your kids play. Maybe for somebody else, the good life is truly just being around family and friends and just that opportunity to, to be together. That's the good life. See, for all of us, we have a picture of what the good life is. And depending upon what that picture is, there are certain things that make up the good life. There are certain things that go into building this life that, that is that picture of the good life. But, but just like building a life, just like building a house, before you can lay the foundation, you need a blueprint for what that life is going to look like. A few years ago, my, my cousin Tyler lives in St. Louis. Uh, he's a pretty handy guy. He decided he wanted to build a house. And he wanted to do it himself. And so he had a vision in mind for what he wanted his house to look like. So he grabbed a piece of graph paper and he drew up a, a picture of what the house would look like. Here's a picture. And it was a really pretty picture uh, of what the house would, would look like. This is the, the rear of the house that faces uh, the, a farm that sits outside of St. Louis. It's a really beautiful area. And so he had this picture, but he knew... He's not, a, he's not a draftsman, so he took this and, and put together what he wanted the house to look like, and he sent it to a draftsman. And so the draftsman took his drawing and turned it into this, a blueprint, a blueprint to build his home. See, I think for a lot of us in, in life, we know that we need a, a set of blueprints for our life. We have this picture of what the good life looks like, but to live that good life, we need some th certain things to build into that good life, so we have this picture, this drawing in our mind, but rather than sending it off to the draftsman, we try to draw those blueprints ourselves. We try to, to make our own set of blueprints. And see, I think this is what often happens. I'm going to use Jenga for an illustration. It's been a while since we've, we've built anything on stage for a while. Any Jenga, anybody Jenga fans at home? Extra large Jenga? Here, if you guys want to play later, let me know. So think about this. For you, if you say the good life is going to be, for me, built with all of these things that lead to this picture, and we start to build our own blueprints, we start to think this. Well, I need a good education. i got to start with a good education. But then I need to get a good job right out of college. And then after I get that good job, I need to find a spouse. And then once I find my, my spouse, I need to go and I need to get a have some kids. Start building in some kids. And then once I start having some kids, we're going to outgrow our little home. So you guys can see this is a very rudimentary, rudimentary house right here. Uh, we need to go and we need to get a home. And then we need to start saving for retirement. And all of a sudden, my blueprints have started to build this house in my mind. But one of the things that often happens to us in life is that when we build our own blueprints and we set our own foundations and our own frame structure, what happens when one of those things changes or we lose one of those things? That career that we thought we really wanted or that we really loved, it fell apart. 
Or that relationship, that person we thought we were going to marry, it didn't work out. Or we thought we were going to start saving for retirement and we begin to save and then the stock market crashed. What happens when our foundational components and the things we frame our homes with based on our blueprints fall apart? The good life falls down. And see, what happens is we try to pick it back up and we try to add a new relationship, don't we? We try to find a new career. But what happens when that doesn't work? We continue to have our blueprints fail. This morning we're starting a new series called Blueprints. And what we're going to, to talk about and to, to look at is this idea that, that God has given us a blueprint for our life. He has given us the blueprint. And rather than us trying to draw our own version of our blueprints, we need to look to the builder who created us and created everything around us to give us the blueprints for life. Because I think a lot of us would admit that maybe we've looked at the good life the wrong way. And maybe we've realized that we don't have what it takes to draw the blueprints on our own. So over these next six weeks, we're going to talk about what is God's blueprint for our life. And, and how do we live into those blueprints? And how do we live those blueprints out? And here's really the big idea for this entire series is that God created only one set of blueprints for the good life. Just one. And our experiences of the good life will completely depend on which set of blueprints we follow. So we're going to dive into the book of Titus. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those, and we'll open up to Titus. And today I've titled my series, Blueprints for the Good Life. Now, if you're not really familiar with the, the, the New Testament or the book of Titus, and you've got a hard copy Bible with you, it's near the end of your Bible, about here. Near the end, and a little quick tip for finding the book of Titus, when you get to the T's, it's alphabetical, right? You guys didn't know that, did you? It's alphabetical once you get to the T's. So 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. So learn something new every day. Turn to the book of Titus, and we'll be in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you get to the book of Hebrews, you've gone too far. Just come back to the left. We're just going to dive into the first four verses. I take really a 10,000-foot view of what the good life is, and over the next six weeks, we're going to unpack that. So here's what, here's what um, we, we read in uh, the book of Titus, chapter 1. It's a, a book of a letter of Paul. Notice what Paul says. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Titus is a really interesting book as we we think about it. If you guys caught that, what would you say the good life is to Paul? I think what Paul would say is the good life is the godly life. The good life is the godly life. But, you know, Titus is a really interesting book. 46 verses, really short, just three chapters. But it's jam-packed with, with, with sound doctrine and theology and, and purpose for God's people. And so it, it, it's what we call a pastoral epistle. And so an epistle is a letter written by an apostle. And we see that this letter was written by Paul. Look at verse 1. It says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice the title. Paul was an apostle. Paul was one of the, the, the apostles. We, we see the apostles were the disciples of Jesus that Jesus sent out to take the world over with the gospel, to, to bring the kingdom of God down. 
and it was the 11 disciples minus Judas, of course. And then we see that Paul is, is radically changed by Jesus and sent on this mission. So Paul is, is an apostle as well. And so we see that Paul is an apostle, but notice what he calls himself a servant. He says, I'm a servant of God and I'm an apostle. Notice the humility in Paul's words. He said, I'm a servant of God and I'm an apostle. And what's, what's interesting about this is many scholars think that Paul wrote this letter about 66 A.D. So Paul, remember, Paul was imprisoned about 62 A.D. when we get to the end of the book of Acts. And so Paul is in house arrest. He's in Rome. And uh, many Bible scholars think that Paul was released about 62. And Paul goes off and begins strengthening the churches, writes this letter to Titus in A.D. 66, and then gets arrested again in A.D. 66. And that's when he gets thrown in the dungeon, in the underground prison where there's no light until the end of his life. And it's in that underground prison that he writes 2 Timothy, which we studied a couple summers ago. And so they think that Paul really wrote this period in between getting out of prison, strengthening churches, and going back. And so he's writing this letter to a man named Titus. Look at verse 4. Notice what he says to Titus. He said, I'm writing this letter to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And we don't know a lot about Titus. We, we see Titus's name in, the, in books like 2 Corinthians. But we don't see Titus in the book of Acts at all. It, we think that Titus was in the book of Acts, that he was with Luke and Timothy and these guys, but we just don't see his name. So we think Titus really kind of rose up and began to become this, this, uh, this church planter, this, this guy that worked with Paul when Paul was imprisoned and, and after Paul was released. And so while we don't know a lot about Titus, what, what we think we know is that Titus was somewhat of a fixer. Titus was the troubleshooter. Charles Spurgeon says that when Paul needed something, he sent Titus. So Titus was the one that went in. And so what happened was Paul and, the, and, and his guys went around and started planting churches on this little island called Crete. And he left Titus there to set things in order. I don't know if you're familiar with the island of Crete, but it's just south of Greece and north of, of Africa. And so Crete was a really interesting place. Actually, if you do some research on the history of Crete, it is where the Minoan civilization began. And if you know, the Minoan, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that, civilization had some of the earliest writings. So dating back to the Egyptian hieroglyphics and some of the writings out of Mesopotamia, we see writings coming out of Crete way early. And so it was a very important place because it was a place to get from Europe or Asia Minor to Africa or the Middle East. It's a small island, well, it's a decent-sized island, but really a small place in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they planted churches here, and Paul sent Titus to go and set things in order because Crete was a pretty wild place. And we'll find more out about that in the next couple weeks. So we see that Paul writes this letter to Titus and to us to give us the picture of what the blueprint of a godly life looks like. Titus was a pastor, so we call this a pastoral epistle. He's teaching us what the blueprint for a godly life looks like and what the blueprint for a healthy church is. And so this morning we're going to dive into this. But here's the question I want you to ask. It's a running question I want you to ask during our time today and during these next six weeks is, is Paul right? Like, Paul tells us that the good life is the godly life. Is Paul right? Does Paul accurately show up for the good life is faith? See, Paul wants to say God's blueprint for your life, the drawing that God put up to build your life, the good life, the foundation for that is faith. Look with me back to verse 1. Notice what Paul says. Paul says again in verse 1. We're just going to camp out here for a minute. He says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the what? The faith. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords to 
godliness. Notice Paul just gives us his purpose right here at the beginning for why he's going to write this letter. It's for the sake of the faith of God's people. For the sake of the faith of, of God's people, so he can strengthen their faith, so he, their faith can go further, so their faith can go deeper, so their faith can, can be more and more in their lives. And so we can live out who we're created to be and to live a life on mission. Now, Paul uses an interesting term here. Some of you may have seen it in this verse. He notice he says that I am Paul, an apostle, servant of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God, the faith of God's elect. He says that the, the save, that for, the, for the faith of God's elect. Now, the God's elect is another way of saying believers, Christians. God's elect are another way of saying God's chosen people. Followers of Jesus are God's chosen people. Followers of Jesus are God's elect. And, and the word elect can also be meant to, to instill confidence. It's like a term, of, a term of affection, a term of endearment to give us confidence that we're God's people. That it, when hard times hit, that God's going to be faithful. That God's never going to turn his back on us. That God's always going to be for us. We are God's elect. Now, some of you may know there's some controversy and some debate surrounding this word elect. There's a lot of debate on what God really means by elect. Did they become, do we become God's elect when we said yes to following Jesus? Or did God elect us or elect them before they said yes to Jesus? And there's a debate. You can get wrapped up in this debate. There's a lot of schools of thought and theology on this, right, of, of how this all works together. But here, here's what we need to know. We are going to get wrapped up in this. Here's what we need to know that, that God's going to tell us when it comes to being God's people. Here's, what, here's the bottom line. If you say yes to Jesus, God will never say no to you. I guess this is the reality. When we talk about being God's chosen people and how that all works together, the reality is if you say yes to Jesus, God will never say no to you. And so if you're in this room today, you're tuning in online, and you've said yes to Jesus, you are God's chosen people. As we read earlier from, second, from 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are God's chosen people, that we are a, whole, a holy nation now. We are a royal priesthood. If, if you hear that and God's stirring up something in your heart, tugging at your heartstrings a little bit, maybe, you know, and he's drawing you closer to him, when you say yes to, to God, you say yes to Jesus, God will never say no to you. And so that's the bottom line of what Paul is saying here. So Paul says this. He says he wants to further the faith. He wants to give us this blueprint for the sake of our faith. So essentially Paul is saying that faith is the foundation of the good life. That it all starts with faith. Faith is where it has to begin if we're going to build our lives. Otherwise, it's all just going to come falling down. When I was in junior high, I had a friend named Chris. And Chris's dad built houses. And so Chris's dad knew we were a bunch of broke junior high kids. And so sometimes when he had a job site to clean up, he would call us in. And our, you know, we're 13, 14 years old. And we would come in and play around on a job site and toss drywall and all these kind of things. And, you know, throw away nails and try not to get hurt. And what I always remember, right, the first time I went, right next to uh, that job site was a basement that had just been poured. And I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen the foundation of a home port. It still had, it had, still had the boards up and, and you know, really the, the, the structures holding the concrete in place as it dried. And it finally was dry. So we jumped down in there and played around in this concrete basement. And it, it was just this reminder that when you look at a house, it's not just the house. That house has a foundation. That house has a concrete foundation or a slab that it sits on. And it needs to be sturdy and firm, and it needs to be the right foundation. And the same is for you and me in our lives. We need to have the right foundation. Like, if we don't have the right foundation, then we're going to continue to try to build things up that will not stand. So our foundation needs to be based on our faith. 
So here, here's what I want to ask you guys a question, though. If you're taking notes, if you've got your teaching notes, I invite you to write something down here. Here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to think for a moment. What is that thing in your life? What is that thing, that, that something, that someone, that somewhere in your life that you think about? That when I said good life earlier, it led you to think about that thing. You might say, well, this, the good life for me is having a career that I love that I know I can retire from. You might say the good life for me is having that relationship, my best friend, that spouse. The good life for me is being able to have toys and, and take vacations and just have a good time and enjoy. The good life for me, for you, it might be socially connectedness. So you want to have friends and go to concerts and shows and laugh and do all of these things. What is it for you? What's, what's the blank? What would you fill in? What is the good life for you? Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a new house, a new apartment, a new car. What is that thing you dream about that when you get there, you can finally start building on the job site? What, what, what is that thing for you? See, maybe you're in a place right now where it's, it's, it's not God. It's career. It's relationship. It's camper. It's something. But I want you to see what Jesus says about this. I want you to notice what Jesus says. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If not, we'll put the words on the screen. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he's ending the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, if you want to go back online into our YouTube page, you can see Pastor Ron preached a great message on this last year. But Jesus is talking about having the right foundation. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this about the foundation we build on. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When I was, my kids were little, we used to read The Three Little Pigs. You guys remember The Three Little Pigs? One built his house out of straw. The other built his house out of sticks. The other built his house out of bricks. You know, what happened to the first two? Big bad wolf came and blew them down. I think the writer of that probably read Matthew 7. But Jesus is talking about having a firm foundation. And our foundation needs to be built on the rock. And the rock is, is him. It needs to be built on the foundation of faith. And how many of you know this is true? You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you in your life have had something fall apart and all of a sudden your world crashed? You had a relationship that you were hoping on, you were waiting on, and it fell apart, and your life crashed. You had, a, you had a career that you loved, and something happened, and you lost your job, and your blueprint of your wonderful life crashed, and it fell apart. Has anybody been there? Because I've been there, and it's hard. It's a difficult place to be, and it hurts. So I think the question that, that Jesus wants us to get to, that Paul is trying to ask us, is what are you building your life on? Like, what's your foundation? Where are you at right now in your life? Because if it's anything other than the faith in Jesus, then no matter what you try to build it with, it's going to crash. And when the waves and the storms come, it's going to fall. So we have to change foundations. And you might be here today, you might be watching online, you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I just change a foundation? What do I do? And so I just want to take a moment, and I just want to say, if you are here today, or if you're tuning in online, there's never been a moment in your life when you've said yes to Jesus. And there's never been a moment in your life when you've put your faith in Jesus and you've said, Jesus, come into my life and I'm going to put you first. Then I hate to break it to you. Then there is no foundation without Jesus. And so today, right now is, is that moment. I pray that if you've never made that decision, God is pulling on your heartstrings to say yes, to prayerfully in your heart, go to God and say, Lord Jesus, 
I'm a sinner who needs you in my life. Come and be first in my life. If you want to say that today, you can grab that connection card and you can check. Yes, I say yes to Jesus. You can go on our app or on our website and say, I said yes to Jesus. We want to walk with you through this. If you have questions about that, we want to help you walk through that so you can see what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus and have your foundation be on him. But for somebody else in the room today or watching online that maybe has said yes to Jesus, but you found that you're building your own blueprints, that your blueprints are job, career, it's, it's relationship, it's stuff, and you've fallen away from the foundation of Jesus. Jesus tells us right now, it's so easy. All we have to do is repent of that and turn away from that and turn to him. So I encourage you, if you've fallen away from Jesus being your foundation, recommit your life today, right now. Don't wait. Today, say yes to Jesus again. Jesus, become my firm foundation. Let us know if you did, because we want to pray with you and walk with you through this. So Paul says, the foundation of the good life is faith. It's all about what you put your faith in. It's all about what you put your trust in. But not just that. Notice Paul continues. Notice what he says next. Paul says this. He says that the good life is built up by truth. That the foundation of the good life is faith, but the good life is built up by truth. Remember, we talked about all those little things that we build our life with, right? We try to build them up on these things. But Paul is saying the good life is, is built up by the knowledge of God's truth. Notice what he says here in verse 1 again. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the what? Of the truth. And what does the truth lead to? Godliness. The knowledge of the, of the truth, which accords with godliness. Again, Paul is saying here that faith and knowing God's truth leads to God, godliness. The, the godly life is the good life. It's a life spent following Jesus. But we can't grow into that life unless we have faith. And on the foundation of faith, we have to build with the knowledge of God and his truth. In John chapter 8, you can feel free to turn there if you want. John chapter 8, there's this inc incredible chapter of, of how Jesus is just revealing our hearts and our blueprints. And so if you're familiar with John chapter 8, Jesus is at the temple speaking. He's teaching. He's having this discussion. And then these religious leaders come and they bring this woman who's been caught in adultery. And they, they bring him to Jesus. They throw her down to Jesus. And she's crying. She's got snot bubbles all bowled up in her face. And they're saying, Jesus, according to the law, she was caught in adultery. She should lose her life. And I'm sure Jesus was thinking, well, how did you find her? Where were you guys at? So here she is just in a terrible place. And here's these arrogant guys standing in front of him. Jesus says to them, he says, okay, you're right. It does say that in the law. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so you who's never sinned, you guys cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, you start seeing people walk away, dropping their rocks in the sand. And so he looks down at the woman who's, again, just trying to probably clean herself up and look presentable. She's standing in front of Jesus, right? And, and, and he looks at her. He says, hey, where, where's your accusers? Are they, do they not condemn you anymore? And she says, no. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and live the good life. Go and build your life on my blueprints, not theirs and not yours, because your blueprints don't work and neither do theirs. Go live the good life and build it on mine. And so then Jesus turns to the crowd, because there's a crowd there. It's not just them. You know, those Pharisees walked away, but there's a crowd. And so Jesus looked at that crowd, and he says this. He says, I am the light of the world, that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they're going, what does that mean? You're like, you're a guy, you know, you don't have a flashlight. What are you, what are you talking about? And, and then he tells them what he means. Look here, John 8, 31, 32. He says this, if you want to learn how to live life by my blueprints, if you want to learn to live the good life and not be like these hard-headed Pharisees and not be like you know, this woman that I just, just told to go live the good life, 
then you need to abide in my word. You need to abide in my word. Because when you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you what, church? Free. That the truth is what actually sets you free. But you don't get to know the truth unless you abide in my word. Unless you, you learn the truth because you, you know the one who is the word of God. The one who is the truth. What Jesus is saying is that unless we're living on the truth of Jesus, we will continually try to build our life up with the wrong things. The Pharisees build their life up with rules. But we build our life up with other things that we think are going to lead to the good life, but they come crashing down. Bob Thune, he's a pastor in Omaha, he says this. He says that, that your version of the good life determines what you give yourself to. So if your version of the good life is, is your career, then you're going to give yourself to your career. You're going to work hard for that career. You're going to do everything you can to advance in your career. If your version for the good life is comfort and security and bank account number and toys and vacations, then you're going to give everything you can to save in that money so you can go on that vacation. You can do everything you can to go into that. If you're, you're, uh, your good life is being socially connected, then you're going to focus on the right relationships and the right friendships and looking the right part and being the right person. But it's built on somebody else's truth, some different kind of truth, not God's truth. We build our lives on the wrong foundation. We frame our lives on the wrong things. If you were going to go build a house today, you were going to frame your house out of wood. You, you wouldn't want to use a, an apple tree, a pear tree, a Bradford pear You'd want to use a Douglas fir, right? You'd, you'd want to use oak. You'd want to use something strong like pine, not aspen or maple. And when we build our lives on the stuff of the world that we should enjoy as a gift of God, but we think is the thing that builds our lives up, it always falls apart every single time because it can't stand and withstand life. So it's all about the knowledge of truth. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself today. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you letting in? What is shaping your version? What truth is shaping your version? Because we all have truth. You know, the world says, hey, truth is relative. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But we all have something that we want to say is truth. Is it God's truth, or is it the world's truth? You know, the other day I was watching a game at home, and all these great commercials came on. And the first commercial was driving this beautiful Audi SUV up to this mountain cabin where everything was covered in snow. And then my giant golden retriever ran up to the car. And, you know, I got out with a delicious cup of pumpkin spice latte. And I went inside and I pulled out my iPhone, or my, you know, iPhone 13. And I had this picture of what the good life was. I'll be honest, that life looked pretty good. Like, I don't know if you guys have an Audi, but it looked pretty good. Like, that looked pretty good, right? I, I really want an Audi now in a cabin in the mountains. Whose truth was I wanting right there? Some advertiser in New York probably, right? Maybe. Was it, was it God's? I don't, I don't know. I, I would say it's probably not. I think what God's telling us here is that the godly life is the good life. And if I have a mountain, cabin in the mountains, great. If I don't have a cabin in the mountains, it's no problem. I'm living the godly life. Because the godly life is built up by truth. See, the reality is all day long, the podcasts you listen to and the books you read and the magazines you read and all the things you see on your phone are all trying to give you the picture of the good life. But it's God's word that actually tells us what the good life looks like. It's God's words that tell us how to grow in our relationships, how to be good stewards with our money, how to overcome anxiety, and how to rejoice in hard times. The world doesn't tell you that stuff. Only God's word tells you that. So this week, I want you to pay attention. I, I, I'm going to challenge you. This is a challenge for me. I want you to pay attention. How much time are you spending in God's truth versus the world's truth? Because if all you do is a two-minute devotional in the morning and read five minutes of your Bible every day, but you're getting four hours of Amazon Prime, who is shaping your view of how to build your life? We need God's view 
So Paul says the foundation of the good life is faith. The, the, the good life is built on truth. But notice here, we're going to close with this. Notice what Paul says here, number three. Paul says this, that the good life is protected by hope. I want you to see how the, the, the first four or the first three verses of Titus 1 flow together to, to show us this beautiful blueprint. Notice what he says. The good life is protected by hope. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, foundational, and the knowledge of the truth, which builds up our life, which accords with godliness, in hope of what? Eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Can you believe that? That God's plan for you was eternal life, and so you could have hope in that eternal life from before the world was ever started. From before God ever spoke the world into existence, God's plan for you was at the right time he was going to send Jesus here to bring the good news so that Paul at the right time could preach that gospel so it could be put on paper so you and I could hear it and get saved. What we talked about last week, divine providence of God. God is above all and in all and through all. Notice what he says. Before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which with I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. He says the good life, foundational is faith, built up by truth, and it's protected by hope. Hope in, in eternal life. See, I imagine if, if you're like me, you think of the good life, and you think of the good life being full of security and comfort. Like, it's natural. We, we naturally do. You, know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What's at the top of the hierarchy? Comfort, security, food, shelter. We want these things. We want to know that we're going to be taken care of. And so we build our lives thinking that if I, to, to get that comfort and security, I need something that will protect me when hard times hit. So I want to have a good relationship. Everything falls apart. At least I got this good relationship. Hey, I could lose my job. At least I got money in the bank and I got a house. Right? We want to have those comforts. It's natural. That's, that, that's, our, that's our nature. Yet, that, let's be honest. How many of us have ever got there? You work your whole life, work really hard. You never really get there, do you? You never really feel like you have enough to be comfortable or secure. And so when hard times come, what do they do? They knock down your foundation again, over and over again. That's why Paul says, through Jesus, the only way that we're ever going to really feel secure is if our hope is in Jesus. And so when our hope is in Jesus, in this eternal life that we have, a job loss, a financial mistake, a broken relationship, a bad health diagnosis, doesn't have to ruin us or devastate us or wreck us. So the question is, when hard times hit, what are you putting your hope in? What's protecting your faith? What's protecting the good life? A few years ago, Courtney and I had a friend. Her name was Pietra, and Pietra was in her late 30s. And we used to go to church with Pietra, and Pietra found out that she had congestive heart failure. She just started feeling really bad. She just was very weak. So she went to the doctor, and they said, hey, your heart is about 25% of the size it should be. She was late 30s. She had four kids. And so she went in, they gave her meds, and they gave her this little, uh, this little messenger bag that she had to carry that had, a, had a, basically a defibrillator in it. And so it was wired to her heart. So if her heart stopped beating because it couldn't handle the blood volume, it would recharge her heart. And so we began praying for Pietra. And I remember there, there was this moment where we were talking with her, and we're, we're praying, and, and she had this smile on her face, and she was just glowing. And we're like, how can you be smiling right now? Like, life is so hard. You just got the worst news you could get. And she said, hey, my hope is not in my health. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in eternal life. Like, my hope is in my future with God. And we were all just like, wow, what faith. And, and because of that, it didn't wreck her life. She went to her kids' games. She did everything. She went to work. A couple months later, she went in for a routine ch her checkup with her doctors. And her doctor said, hey, we can't explain what happened. But your heart is fully healed back to 
You don't need to be on any medication again. Actually, we don't even need to see you for a year. Come back in a year. We'll see how you're doing. I mean, it was amazing. But in the midst of all of that, her hope was in Jesus and the hope of eternal life that Jesus gave her. And it changed her. And it was an example to all of us that our hope doesn't have to be in our bank accounts. And our hope doesn't have to be in, in this or that. Our hope is in Jesus. And here's the good news forefront. Eternal life isn't something that happens when you die. Eternal life started the moment you put your faith in Jesus. If you right now in this room or tuning online have trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are living eternally. Amen? You will never die. You might close your eyes and your skin might melt away, but you will be living with the King in heaven forever. That's the hope that protects us. We build our house and life on faith. We build it up with truth. But our good life in God is protected by our hope in Jesus. And that hope has the power to change our life. So as we close, here's the question I want to ask. I asked you at the very beginning. I want you to, to really give me some thought on this. If the good life is the godly life, and the good life isn't the comfortable life or the easy life or the secure life, but the good life is the godly life, according to Paul, who's right? Is Paul right? Is that ad executive right? Is what I think I need right? Who's right? Whose blueprints are we going to trust? Because the reality is that we can't build our lives on two sets of blueprints. We can't take what we like from God's set of blueprints and layer over what we want from our set of blueprints because it's not going to work. Because they're created by two different draftsmen and they're not going to work together. We have to decide whose blueprints we will live by. And Here's the question I want to ask. Could it be that the reason we struggle with happiness, the reason we struggle with anxiety, the reason we struggle with depression, tough relationships, is because we've been trying to live by two sets of prints when we need to live by one. As we invite the worship team back on stage, I this week was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, a guy by the name of Ed Milet, and it's called Max Out. It's a great podcast. He's a Christian guy, brings a lot of people in, talks about leadership and growth and he, he asked this question, and it wasn't related to blueprints, but I, I want to I connect it. He said, imagine that your life ends, and you get to heaven, and you get to be face-to-face -face with God, and God pulls out his iPhone, which, I mean, of course God would have an iPhone, right? I mean, God created the Apple, and, you know, Android's just kind of this wicked thing that created on its own. But, you know, so of course it would be an iPhone. So, so God pulls out his iPhone, and God shows you the video of your life. And it's the video of what you did when people weren't looking. And God says, hey, what do you think? So I want, I want to take that and I want to take it a step further. What if God pulls out his iPhone at the end of your life and he shows you the life that you were trying to build, the good life that you thought was good, and he plays all the things that you missed by trying to build your own good life rather than living the good life that he has for you. And you looked at that video. What would you think? Would you look at that video and say, man, I made it? Or, wow, I missed it. Think of how much time I wasted building somebody else's good life, trying to live somebody else's good life, and I missed the God life that God had for me. I want you to think about that this week. So as we close, you might be here and you might think to yourself, I've been living the, good, I've been living the wrong life. What do I do? And I, I think it's simple as this. We have to throw our blueprints away. I know how hard that sounds and how harsh that is. Is following Jesus hard? It is. Does following Jesus mean we have to give things up? It does. 
Does following Jesus mean the hard life is in front of us? In many ways, it does. But when we throw our blueprints away and we trust God's blueprints, the draftsman that designed us and created us and set us on the path to life, it's then that we can live the good life. So the question is, who's right? Is Paul right or am I right? Because if Paul's right, if God's right, then there's only one rational response. And that's to with a full heart, with reckless abandon, to run after God and to pursue Jesus with everything we have. And my prayer is this week that we make the choice to run after Jesus because he continually has been running after us. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we, we can spend together in your word. We thank you for this word of Paul's. We look forward to how you're going to move through us through this blueprint series and how you're going to teach us what it looks like to truly follow Jesus and to, to build our lives on the blueprints that you've given us. Father, we thank you so much that we can come into this space today. And I pray if there's somebody in this room right now who says, I've been building my life on my own set of blueprints and it doesn't work because my house keeps falling down, help us to see why. It's because we haven't been building them on the right set of blueprints. So, Lord, I, I pray today as a church we can say, I, I'm going to throw my blueprints away and I'm going to stand on the draft that God has given me in his word. And Jesus is my firm foundation. And my life is going to be built up by the truth and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and how he tells me I should live. And I know that as I do that and as it gets hard, my life, this good life, will be protected by the hope of eternal life that we have in Jesus. The promise keeper God has told us that all things have been given to Jesus and through Jesus, and he set us on that path for life. So, Father, I pray if there's somebody who's watching today or in this room that today wants to say yes to Jesus, that they boldly step out. Whatever is holding them back, whatever that fear is, they step out and say, Jesus, yes, I will. Come into my life. Change my life. And set me on the path to life. So, forefront, I pray as, as we step from here this week, let's turn our eyes to God. And let's ask God to move in our heart in a mighty way and to build our life on him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.